Welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital editor of the Horse.com. Today our topic is after colic, long-term care and prevention, which is sponsored by Assure Digestive Aid. We're joined by colic expert and board-certified surgeon, Dr. Nathaniel White, who's a professor and program director at Virginia Tech's Marion DuPont Scott Equine Medical Center, and Dr. Jay Altman, who's an equine digestive health specialist practicing a practicing veterinarian and consultant for Arenas, which makes the Assure Digestive Aid. Thank you for joining us, Dr. White and Dr. Altman. Nice to be here, Michelle. Thank you, Hi. Michelle. Hi. We've received hundreds of questions on this topic during registration. If you have a question to ask live during during our broadcast, you can put it in the chat console. But please wait until the second half of our program to submit them. Unfortunately, we won't be able to get to all of our questions, but our news editor, Erica Larson, and our editor-in-chief are online to help with your questions and direct you to some answers on thehorse.com. We also have some live polls for you to participate in. I'll be launching those during our broadcast. And as they come up, I'll stop, and we'll see what your answers are. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next hour, so let's go ahead and get started. So our first question is for Dr. White, and that is just that colic is a huge topic. To get us started, can you please describe in general terms what colic is, the different kinds of colics that horses experience, and the clinical signs that an owner would see in their horse that was colicking? Michelle, colic is simply put, abdominal pain. Something in the abdomen is causing the horse pain. Most often, that's the intestine, and that may be from a gas pain, from a spasm of the intestine. It could be from an obstruction, such as an impaction of food. And then the most severe kind is where the gut gets twisted or strangulated, and that can be a fatal problem if not uh, taken care of right away. Horses have a behavior when they have abdominal pain. They will paw. Uh, sometimes the first sign is depression and they're off feed, but then they paw with their front limb. They'll kick at their abdomen with their hind limb. Uh, sometimes take their head and point at the abdomen as if they know where the pain is. They'll go down, lay down more frequently than normal, roll, and it's not to scratch their back, but literally roll to try and, and looking as if they're trying to get away from the pain. Sometimes in severe cases, you'll see sweating uh, and real agony. And Dr. White, this is one of the number one killers of horses, isn't it? It is. Um, it's a serious disease. We think that about 80% are mostly simple colics, and not that many in the whole population need surgery, but you can't tell often which one needs surgery without an examination. So our next question is for Dr. Altman, and it was submitted by Debbie in Education California. And she has asked, what do you do when your vet has ruled out a lot of things, but nothing regarding colic seems to be ruled in? What makes a horse more prone to colic than others? Dr. Altman? Can you hear me? I can, you hear, can me? hear you. I can hear you now. 
Okay, great. Sorry, technology it sometimes gets the better of me. <laughs> Michelle, that's a great question, and um, you know I get asked it on a very frequent basis. Um, you know, looking at colic, as as Dr. White said, um, there are many things that can cause colic or abdominal pain, and some of them can be narrowed down to um, either lesions or metabolic disturbances um, generalized through the horse, things like renal disease, uh, uh, even things like cancer um, or an anatomical abnormality. But most of the colics that we experience or that the horses experience are digestive in nature. And uh, that being the case, <clears throat> what we're most often looking for is information on what might have triggered the colic because the exact cause is usually um, a mystery. So, um, you know, looking at that, what most, most owners want, want to know is what kind of a, a trigger, in fact, caused the horse to colic, things like changes in feed, um, feeding of, um, of excess concentrate, uh, a weather change, a toxin, uh, water deprivation, um, or a pain response, you know, even severe pain can cause a cause a horse to go into colic. Many times there are other stressors that we can't even recognize. So it's very difficult for the practicing veterinarian um, to rule in the exact cause. Um, in general, when looking at um, epidemiology studies over the past 25 or 30 years, it's very obvious that um, management is the number one um, uh, issue related back to horses colicking. You know, some of those uh, management items uh, are very controllable, things like internal parasites, uh, re uh, feed changes or reducing feed changes, reduction or elimination of excess feed or excess concentrate feeds, um, quality of, of hay or forage, water availability, and even uh, things like sand accumulation. But many times there are things that are uncontrollable and a lot of them come into play with stressors, um, such as trailering separation from, from their herd mates, um, introduction of strange horses, interval feeding, something we do in most barns every day, you know, feeding in meals versus continual feeding, uh, riding an intense exercise. So many of those items um, that can contribute or, or, or build up to a colic um, are very hard for people to control. Um, and many of them have a bearing on your, the horse's health. The bottom line is um, digestive health is the key to um, reducing those colics. Okay. And you mentioned in your response there, uh, Dr. Altman, that weather can be, be an impact. Dr. White, uh, we have a question from Susan in Springfield, Arkansas. And she's asking, why does weather seem to be a factor in causing colic? And how do you anticipate or offset that impact? That's a good question, Michelle. I'd like to make a, a comment about what Jay was covering there. We do see horses that seem to be on perfect management that get colic, and we know from historical looking at these horses that they're more prone to get colic again, and frankly, we don't know why. Um, about a horse that's had colic has about three times the chance of having another colic uh, than a horse that's not had a colic. So it's, a, it's often a real mystery for the veterinarians to try and figure it out. As for weather, that's been something that's been talked about forever, I think. I used to talk about uh, the north wind when I was in California and how that seemed to bring on 
more colic cases. We've investigated that looking at temperature, humidity, barometric pressure, doing that up to two weeks and before a colic episode in horses. And really, um, though people seem to find that, that, that wetter changes are related to colic, we don't find any of the scientific measurements that seem to relate to colic. The, the one time that I, we demonstrated how weather affected horses with colic was a snowstorm here in our area when we were conducting the study. And we learned that the horses were, the management of the horses was changed during the snowstorm. They were continuing to be fed grain, uh, but they were kept in because of the snow. And we had a peak of colic episodes um, during that period. So I think we don't know if weather as a stress can cause colic. It, potentially it could. But we do know that if management is shifted, that that certainly can cause colic. And so if, if us as managers or owners change our management because of weather, it potentially could, could cause a problem. But I'll have to admit that it's going to be hard for the second part of that as to how to offset that. I think maintaining your regular management, uh, keeping a closer watch on the horse if you really have a storm is going to be the best the best answer to that. Okay. And Dr. White, Colleen in Montana asked specifically about barometric changes. Do you have anything to add about barometric changes and whether or not those are impacting our horses and causing colic? As far as we can tell, it doesn't. It, it would potentially, we've theorized that if the barometric pressure, say, goes down, that the gas in the horse's intestine might expand. Maybe maybe there's a problem with that. But we've never been able to show uh, that it triggers the colic. As I said, that may be a stress uh, for some horses, thunder and lightning, acute change in temperature, uh, changing how they eat or how they drink. That's probably more likely the reason than the actual barometric pressure. And Dr. Altman, do you have anything to add to Dr. White's comments? No, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's always been uh, a question in my mind whether it was uh, management changes during a storm or the storm itself. Um, I must admit that, you know, in clinical practice, you know, um, around certain types of storms, I have seen colic episodes, you know, in the practice go up. But, um, really can't put a handle on it, and it's not every time the barometric pressure changes significantly, that's for sure. Okay. So relating it back to management might be the most logical answer. Okay. So Dr. Altman, another question related to, to weather. Uh, Don in British Columbia is asking, will blanketing my horse in the winter prevent another winter-related colic? Um, uh, blanketing in general um, is, uh, is, you know, a question that I think every veterinarian gets on a pretty regular basis. Um, and uh, um, horses that grow a good winter coat generally do not have a problem uh, withstanding winter temperatures. Obviously, um, having a source of shelter uh, to get out of wet or driving uh, winds and extreme cold um, really does help them. Uh, as far as my general opinion on blanketing, I recommend that unless you have a reason to blanket, not to blanket. Some of the reasons that you might want to blanket is a frail older horse, a show horse where you need to keep the coat down, um, keep it under control. 
but I personally have never recommended blanketing <clears throat> to help control colic. Um, and, uh, and I think that most horses, if they have good digestive health, um, it's not going to make any difference to them. Uh, my own horses, um, uh, we follow that same rule. Two of our oldest horses this winter, um, one a warm blood and the other one a quarter horse, never saw a blanket all winter. Uh, some of the younger horses that are in work all the time and we needed to control their uh, hair coat due to uh, exercise and sweating, we did blanket. Um, part of my reser reservations about blanketing as a general rule is that um, I feel that blanketing can be unhealthy unless well managed. Okay, thank you. And so now we're going to go ahead and launch our first poll. And so that should have just shown up for everyone. Um, so you can go ahead and answer that uh, for those of you who are listening. The question is, what is your level of concern for the risk of colic? Extremely concerned, B, very concerned, C, slightly concerned, and D, not concerned at all. And we'll wait for responses on that. And with that, we're going to go ahead and, and answer a question on feeding and digestive health, and then we'll come back to the answers on that poll. Uh, Dr. Altman, Ellie in uh, Texas has asked, my horse has frequent colic due to ulcers. The ulcers have healed, were treated, and are now under control, but how do I prevent reoccurrence of ulcers? That's another frequent question that I think both uh, Dr. White and I see, but um, it, you know, if you look at the studies on, um, on ulcers and colic, um, and look at some of the epidemiology studies, uh, which many of them have been run over the last 25 years. Uh, colic most often um, has something to do, as Dr. White mentioned, with the intestinal system um, and the intestinal tract versus the, um, the stomach itself. That's not to say that, uh, that colic can't be called, caused by gastric ulcers. Um, there is a relationship. but Additionally, we need to take into account that um, somewhere around two-thirds, at least according to the one study that's been done, somewhere about two-thirds of the horses with gastric ulcers also have colonic inflammation and ulceration. You know, when you put that together um, uh, and you put those, those tidbits of fact together, you realize that a lot of these horses that are um, colicking and have ulcers, it, it may be a hindgut um, situation that's causing the ulcers versus truly the stomach itself or the gastric ulcers. Um, another important fact uh, for Ellie is that uh, prescription drugs, you know, like omeprazole or Gastrogard, uh, as the trade name is, and uh, ranitidine or Tagament, as the tra trade name is, um, don't function on on controlling ulcers in the hindgut at all. They're strictly um, uh, confined to uh, control and elimination of ulcers in the stomach. So curing gastric ulcers may, may or may not help you to control the hindgut um, disturbances and or ulceration that that horse is experiencing. Um, so going back to how do I help prevent reoccurrence, again, it goes back to helping hindgut health, um, which can be managed in many ways and management issues such as reducing stressors, making sure that your feeding program is, is really high quality, keeping the, the uh, amount of concentrate to, 
to the bare minimum that your horse needs, um, using high-quality concentrates that are low in non-structural carbohydrates, uh, potentially fat-added feeds, um, and reducing sand intake. The list goes on and on, but really focusing on hindgut health is going to be the most important thing to do as far as um, preventing a reoccurrence. That being said, you also also have to be monitoring those those horses that had gastric ulcers for reoccurrence of the gastric ulcers because they do tend to reoccur. And Dr. White, do you have anything to add to what Dr. Altman has shared? I think that we we don't see colic a lot from the gastric ulcers, and but the but the problem is that that can cause upsets. We think in the in the hindgut, as uh, Dr. Altman said, and. So it's very important that we know about what's happening to the gastric ulcers. Horses that are in work, performance horses, race horses, those that are in hard work, many of them will have gastric ulcers due to a mechanism by which acid is pushed up into the top of the stomach. And that's where these ulcers occur. So if your horse is not performing well or showing mild colic or not eating well, it's a sign that gastric ulcers might be there, and that's a, that's a warning sign because, one, you want your horse to perform well, but it also can be linked to, to a colic. So um, good thing to consider if your horse isn't performing well, isn't eating well, or does show some mild colic, then ulcers, gastric ulcers may be a problem. Okay. And let's go ahead and, and look at our poll results. Uh, how concerned are you about colic? 38% of our attendees are extremely concerned. 36% are very concerned. 26 slightly concerned. And only 1% are not concerned, which I guess is why people are here uh, listening to this presentation tonight. Um, our next question is going to be for Dr. White. Um, and it is Sue in Richmond, California, and she's asking, do you recommend feeding apple cider vinegar to prevent stones or enterliths? That's a good question. I wish I had a good answer. Not, it was probably back in the 1980s when one of the researchers at Cornell um, had a horse that they were using for experiments with the colon, and they had an enterolith from another horse and placed it in this horse's intestine and uh, fed the horse cider vinegar, apple cider vinegar, and they found that that enterolith actually was reduced in size. It was being, if you will, eaten away. So ever since then, that, that idea that being the the contents or the pH of the colon would potentially be beneficial for that. And if you're in California, where I think most of the enterolifts are seen in horses in this country, you know, it's a real problem. There has been some research done on enterolifts, and what we know is that the horses that have them, compared to the horses that don't seem to, have a higher pH in their colon. They they have a higher mineral content, and um, it's been linked to magnesium, uh, not calcium, as one of the minerals that seems to be higher in these horses. And it's also linked to farm bodies, and so pieces of stone, nails, and so on that are ingested can serve as the nidus, the center of where these stones want to form. So 
I don't recommend feeding apple cider. I don't believe that it hurts the horse. It's basically acetic acid, uh, which the horse forms in their colon, at least partially. Uh, so it may have some benefit, but to date, we have not been able to prove that's really a benefit or that, in fact, prevents enterolith. Uh, maybe uh, Dr. Altman has more experience with that, but I certainly um, don't believe that it's that simple. Dr. Altman, do you have anything to add on that? Not really. Over the years, um, I can say that I've never recommended feeding uh, apple cider vinegar to prevent enterolifts. We don't see that many of them here in Colorado where I practice, but we do see them, and I have had the question posed to me by clients that were concerned, um, and uh, I, I've never recommended it. Never stopped anyone, but never recommended it. Okay. The, one thing, the one thing, Michelle, that's been recommended is if they're on alfalfa, is which has a high um, link to this problem, is potentially horses that appear to be prone should be put on a different type of hay. Okay. Um, so we have a follow-up question to Ellie's question about uh, gastric ulcers. Uh, Dr. White, um, if you wouldn't mind answering this, uh, one of our current attendees is asking, how exactly do you monitor hindgut health related to ulcers? That's very difficult um, to monitor that. They we don't really, in the live horse, have a way that we can inspect that. We can do ultrasound uh, to look to see if there's any thickening of that. But frankly, um, in horses that have gastric ulcers, it's pretty hard to know uh, what's happening to the hindgut. I, I think the work looking at ulcers in hindgut um, still has to be questioned as to how much that really occurs. When we see horses with colic, um, and take specimens, we're not really seeing that. And so, and yet the colon is involved with the colic. So there's still a lot of questions of that. And I don't have a good answer because we don't have a, a crystal ball or a special scope or anything like that which allows us to really look at the, at the uh, colon and what's going on. Uh, Dr. Altman, our next question is from Janice in Indiana, and she wants to know if feeding psyllium monthly really works to help prevent impactions. Well, I think, you know, psyllium, psyllium is a product that um, has been recommended uh, for use in horses for uh, a very, very long time, and um, psyllium has a lot of benefits um, to the hindgut. As far as um, using psyllium, to prevent uh, um, impactions, large colon impactions, um, uh, you know, I would question, A, the type of impaction that we were trying to control, what else is contributing to it. Although I believe that psyllium has lots of benefits for the hindgut when used properly, I'm not sure that uh, I would be convinced that if a horse was having an impaction problem that a week week out of the month or intermittent feeding of some dose of psyllium would absolutely cure that. Okay. And Dr. White, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I think that the horses are, are used to having a routine in diet. And when you shift that diet, uh, you're asking for potential problem because the flora has to adjust. The microbes in the intestine that help with the digestion are sensitive to 
new kinds of feeds, uh, excess concentrates. And so uh, feeding something once a month potentially uh, actually causes a risk rather than maintaining a very consistent diet, as, as Dr. Altman said, with the appropriate type of hay and grains. Um, and so I actually think that that won't work. I, I don't think that will prevent the impaction. Well, that's okay. You can go ahead, Dr. Altman. Did you have something to add? Oh, and I, and I was going to say, you know, um, I very commonly, uh, you know, this this program was sponsored by the Assured Digestive Aid, which I developed, and um, the program that I put horses on um, involves psyllium. Uh, you know, the Assured Digestive Aid and the program that goes around it involves psyllium, and one of the um, one of the um, uh, one of the ways that we work with that program is to ensure that the, the horse is exposed to it in their digestive system every day. It's not, it's not meant to just be fed short term and then take them off and then do it again if, they, if you think they need it. So the recommendations are for a continual program so the horse's digestive system is aided by it versus upset by it. Okay. Great point, Dr. White. So Roger uh, in British Columbia is asking the question, and this is for, for you, Dr. Altman, uh, what else do you recommend for treating sand colic, and how do you keep your horses from eating sand? Oh, you know, that's a great question, and I, I think the first thing for preventing sand colic uh, refers back to the second portion of the question, which is, is managing and maintaining the intake of sand. And obviously that's your best defense. Um, unfortunately, some people can't get that done completely. But, you know, feeding on, on mats um, so that your horse is not eating off of the dirt, uh, realizing that dirt contains uh, sand and silt, at least most dirt does, unless it's really totally clay. Um, so keeping your horse from eating off of the ground, uh, using feeders, um, or specifically hanging feeders, um, and doing um, doing the same thing when you turn them out and you might throw hay out on the ground. Um, unfortunately, for many people managing horses, they can't get that done completely. Uh, I personally try with my horses, but I know that I can't do it completely. As far as treating sand, colic, um, that, depends, <clears throat> that depends really on the stage of the colic that you're dealing with. Some of the horses that accumulate sand, um, by, by the time they're brought to a veterinary um, clinician, uh, can be so bad that they're toxic and need to be referred to a, to a surgical um, facility. But if, if they're caught early, I believe that a lot of these horses can be managed um, and um, and treated uh, utilizing uh, utilizing some home treatment and home therapy. As a matter of fact, the Assured Digestive Aid that I created was first sparked by sand colics. And, um, and there is a, a protocol for using that to not only remove large accumulations of sand over a short period of time, but also to, <coughs> excuse me, but also to maintain a relatively sand-free colon. Um, so that is the, those are the best methods that I know of, and hopefully it's caught before they have to go to a referral institute. 
And Dr. White, do you have anything to add to that? No, I don't. I, I think it's, it really is prevention. It's hard sometimes to get your horses off of sand, but feeding them out of containers off the ground in some fashion, or at least where they can't get to the sand, is at least a start. And I think if your horse has sand colic and is and is obstructed by the sand, that it does require laxatives and it requires a veterinarian to assess and monitor that. Um, but it can be treated with laxatives many times, um, but often that has to be a frequent um, administration of a salt laxative or something like that. So we've gone ahead and launched our second poll, uh, and it looks like just over half of our attendees have, have participated in that so far. But the question is, what or who is most influential in your decision to use supplements, and which supplements do you use? And the responses to those could be A, your veterinarian, B, fellow horseman, C, your trainer, D, advertising, or E, your your TAC or feed store employee. So we'll go ahead and let that continue for a little bit. And we're going to get now to kind of the biggie question. You guys have both touched on, on diet and feeding uh, in some of your previous responses. But Sergio in Eagle Point, Texas, wants to know specifically, what is the best diet to prevent colic? Dr. White, can you answer that for us? I'll try. <laughs> I, I think that I think the the way you should think of this is that horses do not need grain. And you'll say, well, but they must need grain for their energy. And the way I'll answer that is, yes, some horses that work hard need grain. But if you can feed your horse forage or pasture, uh, predominantly making sure that they have the adequate nutrition as far as minerals and vitamins, that many horses do just fine on a good quality hay. The, they, they, are, they were born and meant to digest forage. And as long as it's not poor quality hay, often they can get enough energy from that to do even some work. If, if they're high performance horses or moderate performance horses, they may need some grain, in which case uh, you need to know how much energy you're putting into them. And you may want to use some fat, which can provide some energy, but may limit or help limit the amount of concentrate. When we did a study uh, looking at horses over a year's time, and we looked at risk factors. We looked at what would what would cause a horse to be at risk to have a colic. And what we learned was the more grain you fed, the higher the risk. So a horse that was fed no grain having a risk of one or no risk, if a horse was fed more than 10 pounds of grain a day, their risk was six times that to have a potentially have a colic. Now that may be a mild colic, but it, it illustrates the potential for the diet to affect these horses and how our management uh, can be very helpful. So my, my answer is, what's the best diet? As much forage as you can feed and as little grain as you can feed, but still maintain their health. Now, I have a horse at home who's fat, and I can't feed uh, very much hay, and she stays fat just on hay. She doesn't work much. But she's healthy because my hay uh, is good quality. So uh, I think it's, it's possible to um, just use hay to keep these horses healthy. Okay. And Dr. White, we also had several questions regarding alfalfa and colic. Would you like to touch on that? 
you know, sometimes there's a question about alfalfa being a, is it a good horse hay? And I think that it is. It's actually a very good horse hay. I think one of the problems is it has quite a bit of energy, a lot of protein. Horses that don't use protein um, for rebuilding will use it for energy. So you can, you can provide too much uh, of a good thing for horses that aren't in hard work. Uh, often a grass hay alfalfa mix is really good because it limits the amount of alfalfa. But there's certainly nothing wrong with a good timothy, orchard grass, um, Bermuda grass hay if it's good quality. And I, and I think that, that owners uh, should try to get their hay analyzed. You can find out how much energy is in it, uh, how much potentially you should be feeding, whether you need to supplement that with grain. Um, but alfalfa hay, in, in my mind, is a, is a good hay, as long as you remember that it's, uh, if you will, a very potent uh, content of protein and energy, and many horses don't need it. Okay. And uh, Dr. Altman, do you have anything to add? Um, you know, I, I agree with everything that Dr. White said, and um, I always work to get a horse on the lowest amount of grain possible. Part of the way I do that is fat-added feeds, um, you know, high-quality fat-added feeds. The other is obvious, which is high-quality um, grass haze. But one of the techniques that I use that may help a lot of the people listening is um, years ago, I, I used to feed um, a lot of alfalfa. I then got away from it and went to alfalfa grass mixes. Um, the last eight or ten years, I've been very uh, dedicated to buying separate grass and alfalfa hay so that, um, and I recommend this to a lot of my clients, even on the high performance horses where they have extreme energy needs and we're trying to keep down or eliminate the use of concentrates. And by doing that and keeping the alfalfa and the, um, and the grass hay separate, you can really balance that diet and use some alfalfa without turning their diet into a pure alfalfa diet. And the two things that you get is you get the benefit, um, you get the benefit of getting some extra energy out of that alfalfa, but you also get the benefit of the additional protein. And many times in these working horses, we can keep their weight up, but you see that there's a lack in muscle structure, especially along their top line. And a lot of a lot of those that are maintaining their weight need a higher quality and a higher level of protein and the alfalfa will do that for you. So it's, it's a very effective tool in feeding horses, and I don't believe that if used judiciously, it changes or increases your risk of colic at all. Okay. And we have our results from our second poll, which is who or what is most influential in your decision to use supplements, and which supplements to use. 66% uh, say they're veterinarian. Uh, which I'm sure our veterinarians are glad to hear. 27% uh, are fellow horsemen, 5% trainer, 1% advertising, and 1% your tack or feed store employee. Okay, so next uh, we have two questions. One is from Dana in Virginia, and another one is from Kimberly, who's also from Virginia. And they're similar questions. Uh, Dana's asking, 
you know, she's heard that 24-7 access to hay helps prevent, prevent colic, and she wants to know if that's true. And Kimberly is asking if a bulk-loaded feeder or hay net is a better method for feeding the stabled horse to help reduce your risk of, of colic. Uh, Dr. White, do you want to take that one? Yes, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and if I had a choice, I would have the horse have hay in front of them 24 hours a day. But as I said, depending on your hay, uh, some horses will actually gain weight and, and get too heavy. So um, it is true, I think, that, that horses will do well on as much hay as you can feed them as long as you don't get them their body condition uh, too heavy. They're, they're used to forage. They use it for their digestive tract. And we think that having hay available uh, reduces the potential for gastric ulcers. It potentially reduces um, that period of time when they don't have anything in their stomach um, and they can pick and choose as they go. So uh, ideally, I would have hay in front of them, but I know that some horses simply overdo, and, and it's not possible to do that. I think that there's a good story about that in Kentucky where they have beautiful bluegrass, and they have um, wonderful horses and lots of expensive broodmares. On one farm one time, the story went that uh, they were having a tremendous amount of trouble with colic, and they had really nice bluegrass horses were seemed to be very healthy, very fat and happy, nice foals, but they were doing several surgeries a month uh, because of the colic. And they did one thing, and that was to take a, a hay feeder and put it in a pasture where all of the horses had this beautiful bluegrass, and they let the bluegrass grow up a little bit. They didn't just keep clipping it with the mower. And what was observed was the horses would feed out of the hay feeder 50% of the time because they have this need for this roughage rather than the, the grass, which is a lot of water and a lot of energy. So I think they were the horse is telling you that they do need that forage, they do need that roughage um, to have a balanced digestive tract. So it's not an easy question to answer because ideally you want them to have as much forage as they can, and if they would be careful about picking and choosing during the day, 24 hours a day, that's really good, that works. But you have to be careful with some horses that are stalled and, uh, and released and let out. As far as the bulk feeder, uh, I think it works as long as it's safe for horses. Sometimes cattle feeders are used, and those aren't really safe for horses very often. Some people use round bales. There, there's a concern about botulism with round bales unless they're put up and, and baled properly. Uh, but many horses on range or pasture do very well with that uh, 24 hours a day. As far as a flake in the morning and a flake at night, um, normally what, what I like to see is that flake is enough to keep them uh, overnight and just be gone in the morning. And the same when you feed in the morning, it's just going to be gone by the time you get back. So in essence, I'm saying that it's in front of them 24 hours a day. It doesn't have to be all that time, but it's good that they have something to nibble on during that period, I think it's a reflex which is helpful to the digestive tract. So I hope I've answered that. That's a hard one. Uh, our, what the horses are telling us is that, that they would, they're browsers and they like that hay available uh, whenever they want it. 
Well, thank you, Dr. White. We had a question that just came in from one of our attendees, and Dr. White, maybe you can touch on this. The attendee is asking, is insulin resistance related to hindgut colic? Um, I don't think so. Insulin resistance is really a, an issue with tolerance of glucose, and we see horses just like um, we have this secondary type diabetes in humans where they appear to get insulin resistant and can't tolerate um, the glucose load that they get. So, no, I don't think it is. I don't think we, to me, that's more related to laminitis and not to colic. Uh, it is a dietary issue, but not necessarily related to gut health as far as I know. Okay. Dr. Altman, our next question is for you. Uh, Denise, who's in California, asked, um, my horse has severe colic episodes every 10 months or so. He's on probiotics and a vet-recommended diet. Um, we just talked about that vet-recommended diet. Uh, what else can she do to protect her horse from colicking? Uh, well, Denise, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the question in itself uh, has two components. One is, uh, or I read it as three components. Uh, you mentioned uh, that recommended diet, and uh, there have been some recommendations made already at this at this webinar uh, regarding how to adjust your feeding practices. And um, so making sure that that vet, vet recommended diet um, adheres to some of the principles that both Dr. White and, and I have mentioned tonight would be a good thing. Um, and then uh, the probiotics. You know, probiotics, um, have, have a, a host of different opinions revolving around them, but I can tell you, you know, uh, after the last uh, six years of studying probiotics in intense detail, both um, the research done on them as well as clinical application of them, um, there are some real differences in probiotics. And so making an assumption that you're feeding a probiotic um, or you under the assumption that in feeding a probiotic you're doing good to the digestive system, to me is not always a good link. Um, those probiotics, you know, they're all different strains. Um, we have to we have to look at whether or not they're alive versus dead cell cultures. Whether those whether those cell cultures, if alive, are actually getting to the hindgut. So there's a delivery issue. There are a lot of things around probiotics that. Um, just looking and saying that I'm feeding probiotics in and in and it itself um, is not necessarily improving your horse's digestive health. So what else can you do? Again, it goes back to all of those other management things, reducing stressors. Um, uh, you know, and some of the stressors that I'll mention are um, things like separation from herd mates or horses that they're that your horse might be <clears throat> might be attached to. Um, uh, we, I mentioned earlier intermittent feeding schedules and balancing that out with um, with a hay, a hay that's there on a regular basis, but basically the 24/7 routine that Dr. White was just addressing. Um, all of those all of those management issues that we're talking about um, also take take into uh, um, or also are affecting your horse and this um, once every 10 months colic incidents. Dr. White, do you have anything to add? We've had some horses like this, and the one thing that sometimes works, not always, is that 
these horses do well turned out 24-7. In other words, able to meander, walk around, and not be in a stall, and then turned out. We know that stalling, increased stalling time is related more to, to having more colic compared to being turned out. So it may not be possible in a particular management, but if it is, uh, some of those horses will will not have the problem. At least historically they've had trouble, but once they're turned out, they seem to equilibrate and not have it. So it's something to try if you can. Okay. So one, more, one more thing, Michelle, if, if I may. Yes. Um, you know, the Assure product um, a couple of years ago was put through a wide-scale clinical trial, and one subset of the trial horses were 30 horses um, managed in their existing um, environment, uh, no change in management, the same management that they had had for, uh, uh, or at least at the start of the clinical trial. And this was run by uh, different veterinary practitioners around the country. And those 30 horses were put on a long-term program with um, the Assure Digestive Aid system. And of those, of those 30 horses, when kept on that, and these were all recurrent colic horses, uh, different frequencies, anywhere from uh, colicking once a week to colicking like uh, twice, twice a year, twice to three times a year, and durations ranging as, as far out as three and four years of history. Um, but 27 of those 30 horses um, stopped colicking. Um, and so, so you know, this digestive aid has been, has been shown uh, and indicated that it can be a real aid in reducing or eliminating colic. Obviously, I would never say it's going to eliminate every colic, because it won't. Um, but I think that uh, in helping that hindgut substantially to stabilize and, and reform normalized motility, um, we reduce the likelihood of colic. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Altman. Um, we just had a question come in from Linda, who is an attendee uh, who is listening now. And she had, has a feed question that maybe you can answer, Dr. White. Uh, she's asking, if I occasionally give my horse some rice bran, wheat bran, or even carrots, does this constitute a significant change in diet, uh, which you mentioned earlier in, in your response? It depends on two things. One, uh, the, amount, the amount that's being given, because if you overload suddenly with a carbohydrate, type of diet, such as wheat bran can, um, then you potentially are increasing risk for a gas colic or an upset in the intestine. The other thing that we see is just like in humans, some people can eat anything and feel fine, and others are very sensitive to particular things in the diet, and we, I think that that happens in horses. So th there, there may be a horse that you can do that every once in a while, and it's not a problem, but on the other hand, um, it reminds me of a farm that we visited that was having these frequent colics. Uh, they were having as many as 10 colics a month um, in a herd of sport and horses that were doing dressage and jumping. And when we went to visit, everything seemed really well take, well managed, a good feed, good exercise routine, healthy horses. But what we found was that the help, including the owner, we're feeding these little apple treats. And so when I said, well, how many do they get? Oh, just a couple. And then we started asking the help. And I said, oh, I feed one or two a day. And then everybody was feeding these horses these apple treats. So we had those apple treats uh, analyzed. 
they were very high in carbohydrate. Now, I can't say that it was the reason, but we said you need to stop feeding the apple treats. And they went from having surgical colics and other colics and, uh, and a bit more balanced diet, and the colics disappeared. So it, it just brings home that I think a treat once in a while, uh, we all like to do that for our horses. I think carrots are better. But um, in some horses, uh, especially a large amount of a carbohydrate source, uh, can cause them some trouble. So I think, again, routine, uh, same type of feed. Uh, horses are used to that, and, and that's really what's best for them. Thank you. Uh, we went ahead and launched our third poll, and the question is, where do you most frequently purchase your supplements for your horse? Uh, through your veterinarian, through your tax store or retailer, online, or do you don't use supplements? So you can go ahead and answer those now, attendees, and we'll move on to the next question while you're doing that. Uh, our next question is for Dr. White. And Ina wants to know, how dangerous is grass in the spring and summer for my horse that's colicked in the past? Uh, good question. Somewhat depends on the type of grass, how fast it grows, and then how the horse is managed. Horses that are out on pasture as that spring grass starts to grow normally can adjust to the new energy that's in the grass, uh, because there will be increased energy in the form of carbohydrates. But as long as they're used to it, as long as they're taking it in as it starts to grow, normally those horses don't have any trouble. The problem comes when a horse is kept in a stall, turned out for a short period of time, and they're going to just eat that grass because it's so good, and they're going to take in a lot. I think that's when we potentially can have a problem. We certainly see horses that when they go out and eat a lot of green grass and it's growing very rapidly, uh, that's a time when we will start to see a few more colic episodes. And so, yes, I think it can be um, an issue. Uh, I wish I knew how dangerous it was, but um, it's something you should keep in mind. Okay. And we're going to go ahead now and look at the results of our most recent poll. Uh, where do you frequently purchase your supplements? 8% for through their veterinarian. 38% uh, of our attendees purchase them through their tax store or local feed retailer. 41% purchase those online. And 13% uh, do not use supplements for their horses. We'll go ahead and close that poll now. Um, so the next question I'm going to uh, send over to Dr. Altman. And this was a really popular question. We got a lot of it uh, in a lot of different forms. And that's about the senior horse. Uh, so we have Ruth in Florida asking, what is the best way to manage digestive health in the senior equine to prevent colic? Her horse in particular is not a surgical candidate, so that's why she wants to keep that from happening. Dr. Altman? Well, Ruth, I love your question because I love working with the senior horses. As a matter of fact, the horse that I ride uh, for my roping endeavors um, keeps me safe all the time and he's 26 years old. Uh, I'm not telling him he's senior yet. So um, that, <laughs> that kind of goes to the point that, um, you know, uh, uh, categorizing a horse as a senior or geriatric is not an age-related event. It, it needs to be related to their overall health. You know, I think of horses uh, in terms of their health more than their age. And um, But when working with the senior horse or one that is starting to show their age, some of the things that you need to keep in mind, Ruth, are that um, or that uh, <clears throat> that horse's ability to recover 
just like in humans, from from any um, illness or um, lameness issue or even a digestive disturbance is going to be different and maybe a little bit slower than a younger animal. Uh, that being said, we want to take special care of their digestive needs. <clears throat> what that means to me is um, uh, routine dental inspections or examinations and dental care as needed. Um, on your older horses, I tend to like to have them examined often and worked on infrequently, meaning that we need to be right up on whether they need work done, but not too aggressive in taking too much of the little amount of tooth that they have left, especially the, the real senior ones. Um, <clears throat> a very good deworming program is recommended by your um, veterinarian and um, uh, potentially uh, parasite examination and fecal flotation testing. Um, using even a higher quality forage um, and in the senior horses I try to get my clients to move to a shorter stem hay that's a little softer and uh, less mature. So a little finer hay, it's just easier on their di digestive system. And <clears throat> although um, I almost hate to be out there in the public mentioning beet pulp, I think beet pulp has a really good place in the senior horse. I do have a fear with feeding beet pulp um, by itself, and I never recommend beet pulp uh, as an individual ingredient in a concentrate feed. But I do think uh, beet pulp, when used in some of our high-quality senior feeds, can really help the horse's um, uh, hindgut digestive system and provide additional energy for them without having to use concentrates. So those are the things that I typically focus on in the older horse, and I think it's good for their digestive health in general. Thank you, Dr. Altman. We're down to just about eight minutes left, and we have uh, still several questions that, that we'd like to get to. Um, but really quick, I went ahead and put up that last poll that we're doing for the attendees. And it is, if you use a, a digestive aid, what is the primary condition you are using it to treat? Uh, a, um, diarrhea and general digestive maintenance. B, weight loss. C, ulcers. D, sand. And E, chronic colic. So go ahead and answer those. Um, the next question I'm going to give to Dr. White. It was another really popular question, and that's about a horse that cribs. This is from Emily in Ohio. And she wants to know, why, do, why are cribbers susceptible to colic, and what can she do to prevent it in her horse? Well, I, I assume Emily means that cribbing is where they suck wind, and they take air down their esophagus into their stomach. And that's been related to gastric ulcers, uh, gas colic and displacements of the colon, as well as another disease where the small intestine gets trapped in a particular anatomic site next to the liver called the epiploic foramen. In fact, horses that crib are about 64 times more likely to have that disease than horses that don't crib. So it's definitely related to colic. We think it's related to this whole issue of when they suck the wind down into their esophagus, they're changing their stomach and I really think uh, many of these horses do have gastric ulcers. Some, some people think that's stress-related, but I think it's a physiologic effect of the way they have to use their diaphragm and their abdomen, and it pushes that acid up into the stomach. So uh, as far as preventing it, it's a matter of trying to prevent 
somehow the, the cribbing um, and keeping them from taking the wind down. I think if they chew or uh, set their head and so on, it's, that's not as much of an issue as if they really do the wind sucking, which we know is related to colic. Okay. Thank you, Dr. White. Uh, really quick on that last poll we did, we have 32% saying they're worried about uh, diarrhea um, or using digestive aids to treat diarrhea, 7% uh, for weight loss, 25% uh, for ulcers, 24% for sand, uh, and 13% for chronic colic. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about treats and change of diet. Uh, Dr. White, really quickly, Lindsay of New from New York wants to know what you think of brand mashing versus not brand mashing your horses and how can that play a role on your horse's colic? I think if you're going to use brand mash, it be, should be part of the calculated diet. Brand can be a good feed, but we know from work that we've done that the milling of bran is sometimes incomplete and it can have as much energy as corn or oats. Uh, per weight. So uh, I don't think um, intervals or, you know, weekend branding is a good idea. I think that can be an insult to the horse. We haven't really shown that, it's a, that it is a laxative. If you're going to feed brand, then, then calculate the amount of energy in it, calculate it with everything else that's in the diet, uh, and then, then I think it's fine. Uh, and we have a question about mares and colic. Uh, Dr. Altman, Eileen in Fall City, Washington, wants to know, is there a connection between heat cycles and colic in your mare? Um, that's a good question. And uh, um, I would say that over the years, I've seen several of, of those horses in my clinical practice that um, in the spring when they're first uh, coming, starting to cycle and they're transitional, um, they do experience bouts of, of usually mild colic. Uh, there is a link to it. You know, as you can imagine, um, uh, the whole process of, of cycling for a mare can be painful, and for some more so than others. Um, uh, and the whole, the whole switch in hormonal regulation that's going on in the springtime. So yes, um, there, there can be a connection between their uh, regular cycling and colic, episodes of colic. Um, Dr. White, we have another mare-related question with colic. Uh, this is from Ruth in Michigan, and she wants to know, in her mare who's had a colic with each of her two pregnancies, and the mare survived successful colic surgeries, uh, what are your thoughts on continuing to use her as a brood mare? We know that, that mares that are pregnant or have recently foaled are more susceptible, that is late pregnancy or recently foaled, are more susceptible to problems of the colon specifically displacements or a colon torsion where it twists on itself. Um, we don't know exactly why. We think it might be related to the anatomy after the foal is born or maybe the increase in grain that normally is given for the lactation. The, the prevention sometimes has to be surgical in that if the mare has done this a second time uh, and it has a second surgery, then we tack it down. We actually tie or suture that colon down uh, to the body wall so it can't rotate again. And that's been successful in preventing that colic. Otherwise, I think it's uh, more turnout or 24-hour turnout, having some hay in front of them, um, less grain as long as they're healthy with the lactation would be the other things I would do. Okay, thanks. 
And uh, really quick, I want to throw this question out to Dr. Altman. Uh, Jennifer in La Jolla, California is asking, will exercising your horse right after he's finished a meal in increase his chances of colicking? I, I love that question because um, there's two sides to it. Um, num number one is um, I have never seen nor heard of a strong association between exercise right after um, a meal and horses colicking. Um, uh, so, so realistically, my answer would be no, it's not going to increase their chances of colicking. On the other hand, um, I've eaten a big meal and tried to run, and it sure doesn't feel well to me. So, <laughs> so I always, I always um, urge my clients and my family to give them a break after they've had a concentrate meal, um, and don't ride right afterwards because I just, I just can't believe that it either feels good to them or is good overall to their digestive health. And although that colic may not occur at the time that you ride the horse or right after you ride the horse, it may be a contributor to digestive disturbance overall and something that eventually leads to colic. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Altman. We are running out of time, but we have one more question from online that I want to uh, throw out to, to Dr. White. Uh, Tom is listening in right now, and he wants to know if Frisians are more susceptible to colicking after consuming alfalfa than other breeds of horses. He lost a colt to colic. I'll be honest, I don't know. Uh, when we do some of the surveys and look at the populations that have colic, the number of Frisians is usually very low. I don't know of any relationship like that. Um, but as I said, some horses can be sensitive to certain types of feed. Uh, but that's an interesting question. I wish I had a good answer. Okay. Thank you, Dr. White. And thank you, Dr. Altman. We are at one hour, so we're, we're going to be closing our, our program for this evening. Thank you so much, Dr. White and Dr. Altman, for joining us. Uh, and thank you to everyone who's listening in. I'm sorry we weren't able to get to all of your questions, but hopefully we touched on some things that will help you with keeping your horse healthy uh, and, and preventing colic in, in the colic-prone horse. If you have any additional questions, about colic, I urge you to check out thehorse.com and, and do a search on there and find some information. Um, thanks again for joining us, everyone. Thank you, Dr. White, Dr. Altman. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you, all the listeners. Thank you. And uh, good night, everyone. <laughs>